Are you bored living a mediocre life? We were too, and we know how to change that. Each week, we'll leave our comfort zones to explore a new topic, then step onto our soapboxes, a safe space to sound off on our latest adventure. Come explore with us. All opinions are welcome. This is a mindset. This is a lifestyle. This is Siren Soapbox. Hello and welcome fellow explorers. Thank you for diving in with us today. Our mission is to explore beyond comfort zones. Let us inspire you to explore. Visit sirensoapbox.com. We have a link for a free month of Audible, information on upcoming challenges, a link for a coloring book, and information on our new magazine coming out in May. Join us now, guaranteed to spark some exploration. Creativity. We all have it. It's as natural as breathing. Yet there are those of us who will deny it and fight their creativity every step of the way, disregarding their natural talents. Some of you listening right now might be thinking, yeah, right. But no, seriously, are you a teacher? Did you create a lesson plan? Maybe you're an engineer and created plans to build something magnificent. Maybe you play around the kitchen and you have that one secret recipe everybody's always asking you for. Stay at home parent. You create life lessons for your child, build magical forts, and slay mythical dragons, all while caring for these tiny humans you created. See where we're going here? The examples are endless. Everyone has the power to create. However, sometimes we do need help realizing our full potential. That is where the book, The Creative Cure by Jacob Norby comes into play. In the book, Jacob writes, what if we began to see our whole lives as a kind of joyful practice? Every time we engage in creativity in the pursuit of joy, we're also alleviating or lessening feelings such as anxiety, stress, sadness, depression, and a host of other negative emotions and psychological clutter. Seen this way, joyful practice becomes a daily dose of good medicine. Jacob also talks about letting go of shoulds, a topic we bring up a lot on Siren Soapbox. Jacob said about his creative unboot camp, that members could share their experience in a safe space, even though we are spread out geographically. Sounding familiar yet? The sirens had to dive in. Let's find out what they experienced with the creative cure. But first, if at any time the conversation gets too intense, the safe word is... Mango. First up on her soapbox is Mer. I really enjoyed reading the cure. Creative Cure by Jacob Nordby. I liked it much better than The Artist's Way, which we recorded about in episode number 45. I made that comparison because in some ways, this book felt like an extension of Julia Cameron's book. Julia even wrote the intro to Jacob's book. The Creative Cure mentions that traumas can stifle one's creativity, along with a host of other issues that trauma creates. It's sort of a defense mechanism. But the book also goes into detail about how we can retrain ourselves to be creative again, and claims that being creative can lead to healing from the traumas we've experienced. So if you follow the show, you may know that I've been working really hard at healing from some trauma that I experienced as a teenager. Well, the entire time I was reading this book, I thought to myself that this podcast has been my creative cure. Getting out of my comfort zone, writing a soapbox each week, experiencing new adventures. These things have absolutely helped with my healing process. I've also been working with a therapist who I've been seeing much less frequently these days, and that feels good. I feel good. I feel like being a part of this podcast has forced me to be creative so that I can be present each week and having deep connections with my fellow sirens. That's been life-changing. So back to the book, my favorite thing that Jacob introduces us to in the creative cure are what he calls the tools to strengthen the imagination. I sometimes feel like I'm not very imaginative. So it's pretty cool to find tools to help me with that. Also, these tools feel a lot like Siren Soapbox. Let me explain. First is setting limits. We define the challenge each week and there are always parameters. Next is shifting perspective. And I get to listen to every Siren's point of view for a topic that we're experiencing and hearing the alternate thoughts, alternative thoughts, really helps me understand new ways of thinking. Then we have welcoming randomness and everything we do is random to a certain degree. I mean, there's no prescription to the topics we explore. Most of our topics are things that popped up in someone's life at random. Next, we have transforming dread into possibility. And even for topics that we don't enjoy, we are challenged to find and deliver a positive spin on those. 
And then finally, un finding the unlikely magic of boredom. Um, I'll get back to you on that one. Forcing myself to do nothing to be bored is so far out of my comfort zone that I've yet to do this. Sara, how was the creative cure for you? Well, full disclosure, I did struggle a little bit with this material. Certainly no reflection on the writing. The creative cure is very well written. The information is well presented and the book is very easy to read. I think my hang up was that the content was a little similar, like you said, Mer, to a book that we read for an episode that we recorded last year, which I'm sure we'll talk about more here today. While I seem to remember the artist's way being a siren favorite, it wasn't really one of mine and the topic still isn't one that resonates with me. What I do find interesting about having read The Artist's Way and now getting into the creative cure is that the many repeating concepts is the many repeating concepts. I do believe that the ideas presented here about creativity in general are probably correct. The journaling and meditation and quieting our inner critic can open up our creative selves. I just still don't love journaling or meditation. I just really don't. I, I wish I could get there. I'm just not there yet. What I liked about the creative cure though, was getting some validation that my approach to journaling is likely just as effective as the practice we were instructed to adopt previously. Rather than a strict three morning pages, Jacob Norby advocates for self journaling that can be just a few minutes, any time of day. That felt much more achievable for me. I have several little journals that I carry around. So it was easy to take a break and write a couple of times a day. That helped me get into it a little bit more and feel like I was participating. As to quieting our inner critics, I agree wholeheartedly that those critics, those hordes can be joy suckers, confidence destroyers, creativity blockers, and general assholes. Ever since becoming the queen of my own life, I've been striving to shut those bastard hordes down. A work in progress. Another part of this book that I took to heart was the idea of finding joy everywhere in my life. I can tend to fall victim to seeking joy in things. So this was a great reminder to focus less on things and more on experiences. That's a message that we've heard on Siren Soapbox before too. Jess, did you find a synchronicity or two in the creative cure? So many. I found all the synchronicities in this book to be comforting and served as reminders to me. Letting go of fear, taking time for myself, not listening to the nose, all of these were great to hear again and lined up with my personal goals from my vision board. So I found the concept of scheduled boredom to be much better than scheduling time to get stuff done. Also, it seemed to be a little easier than meditation because in meditation, you're not supposed to let your mind wander, but scheduled boredom is exactly that. Just let the inspiration come to you. I love the idea of listening for the inspiration. For my activity, I did the should counter. And I actually like this a whole lot better than a no counter because I find myself saying, you should do this or you shouldn't do this a lot more than no and various versions of that. Overall, this workbook was a great companion to the rabbit hole of creativity and inspiration that we've been going down. I still struggle with calling myself an artist, but I'm working on listening to my inner creative because I realize that there are many different versions of artists and artist doesn't mean I have to be as good a painter as some of the other sirens. <laughs> Elsie, when did you first hear about Creative Cure? Well, it was last year after we interviewed Paul Boynton that he posted about the book on social media and I downloaded it right away, right before a gathering that we went to in April of 2021. That gathering was the first big thing I did since the shutdowns. Our family is on high alert for chronic health reasons and listening to The Creative Cure was very cathartic for me, mainly because I relate to the author's story of rediscovering his creative self. I too was working the hustle life and really lost myself in my priorities, slaving over a career that I thought was my dream job. October, 2019, I attended a retreat where I began to adjust my sales towards my true north and six months later, I had only found the courage to drop down to part-time which turns out it was not in the cards for me. The week that I went part-time, it was the shutdown and all part-timers were forced to be furloughed. That gave me enough time to catch my breath and realize what I had been missing. When they called back three months later, I said no. Biking, hiking, kayaking, and being one with nature all helped me heal. However, most of the time I found myself painting. 
The creative cure helped me to identify why I stopped doing creative practices that I loved and why when I finally had time to pick up a brush again, that this hobby became so much more. It became healing and now a job, one that truly makes me happy and gives me time to focus on what's important. Reading The Artist's Way last September, I enjoyed journaling and found great focus in it. But after the 12 weeks, I fell off the wagon because I felt like a failure if I was short on the three pages. And eventually it led to falling out of the practice altogether. Since reading Creative Cure the second time, I have picked up journaling again because I feel less stressed about it. I have even planned an artist date for myself, another practice that I fell out of. We've done meditation for previous recordings, but this book has opened my eyes to making it a habit. I even look at it as a mini artist date, something special just for me to help me fuel my creativity. Another reason that I'm glad I read this book again is that I am amazed after looking at the personal discovery assessment at how much happier I am since reading the book the first time. Side note, this podcast is another creative venture that has healed me, but I'll save that story for our book. TC? How did you relate to the book? This book hit a lot of tender spots for me. You know, those attributes or feelings you prefer just sweep under the rug. Well, this book was a rug lifter, which is good, but dang, leave my rug alone. I really loved the journal prompts and the exercises. I plan to spend more time exploring both. Some of them go straight to the heart of struggle areas for me. I'll tiptoe out of my comfort zone and share some of my under the rug dust bunnies with you. The I'm not enough idea. I want to believe that I believe that I'm enough, but a dirty little secret of mine is that I don't believe I'm enough. I have to guard my own self-talk from things like, I could have done that better. I should have said this thing. I shouldn't have said that thing. I could have been more kind. When I do something that I think was a mistake or not good enough, it can take days for me to forgive myself. And I'm not sure I've told anyone that before. And yes, I want to achieve a version of myself in the future. But now I wonder, what if I am perfect as I am right now? The entire chapter on boredom, there's a lot for me to unpack here as I have always believed that boredom is the enemy. Not that I would ever have the chance to get bored. In true seven fashion, I tend to pack my moments full. When I think about my answer to what would I love, I had no trouble answering the question. Then all of my doubts and creativity killers that he mentioned in the book washed in like a tidal wave. Things like be realistic. You need a real job that will pay the bills. You don't have any training to do that. What do I love about this book? I love the definition of success that he offers. Success is the ability to cultivate and experience joy in all aspects of your life. I completely agree with this definition. Then he says something that I wrote down and I need to put on my wall somewhere. Remembering joy, how it feels and how to express it is the shortest distance between where you are now and where you want to go. Such a simple statement and yet, when you really let that sink in, so profound. Jacob Nordby is an entrepreneur, speaker, teacher, and author. He wrote The Divine Arsonist, A Tale of Awakening, and Blessed Are the Weird, a manifesto for creatives. His quotes have been shared millions of times around the world. One of the more famous is Blessed Are the Weird People, Poets, Misfits, Writers, Mystics, Heretics, Painters, and Troubadours, for they teach us to see the world through different eyes. Jacob leads a creative unbootcamp course for students around the world and offers transformational group retreats and individual creative guidance sessions. His third book, The Creative Cure, is described as a call for a revolution, fostering change where all change must begin <clears throat> within. Jacob describes himself as a fascinated human. He believes in love, laughter, and the restoration of joy. He believes that we are here to experience life deeply in all of its shades. He believes in kindness, honesty, and freedom, and mountain trails, and tacos. Jacob announced that he wanted to be a writer at age 10. 25 years later, he finally followed this dream, and we are glad he did. We all enjoyed reading his most recent book, The Creative Cure, and we appreciated the gems of wisdom we found within its pages. Sirens, 
please welcome Jacob Norby, one of the weird people in Enneagram number four, the individualist, to this episode of Siren Soapbox. Welcome, Jacob. Welcome. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Jacob, well, we're this curious. Is oh, go ahead. I was just going to yell mango real quick. No, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> we're curious about that moment you decided to give up the normal life, accept your own weirdness, and pursue the dreams of 10-year-old you. Can you tell us more about that? Well, yeah, so 34, I'm 2007, I had kind of all of the markers of success that I thought that I would want to put together. I had a brand new big office and teams and a big house and all this stuff. And I couldn't figure out why I was waking up every morning at, at 3 a.m., um, stressed out, uh, afraid. Um, and every time I'd pull into the parking lot of my new office, there would just be this like great big uh, leaden cloud kind of descend over me. And I, I, it really made me afraid because um, I'd been working so hard at creating these enterprises for so long. And a young guy came and worked for me that summer. And sometime during the summer, he came in my office and said, Hey, I want you to go to this meditation retreat with me. And uh, I think I said before we uh, started recording that um, I was raised very, very Christian, so very sheltered, and then had broken away from that faith in my adulthood, but really hadn't found any kind of practice. And so I'd been reading Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer, and everyone said, you know, meditation was a good idea. So um, I agreed to do this thing. And this story could be long, as long as we want it to be, but it turned out to be a shamanic initiation. I didn't know what a shaman was. I had never tried any drugs. <laughs> and they administered DMT. So it was really being plunged into the deep end in some ways that I didn't know that I needed. I wouldn't have gone looking for that. Um, but it gave me such a moment of radical clarity about the fact that I'd been creating my life mostly through survival strategies, mostly as a reaction to fear and anxiety, you know, and of not being enough, um, not having enough, not being enough not enough time, not enough money, not enough anything, you know? And so I could feel that I was so far off track and I really didn't know what to do next when I came back to the real world from that experience. Um, I didn't know how to realign my life. Um, all I knew is I had tremendous obligations. I had tremendous burdens that I had put together on purpose and picked up and was carrying around and now I was exhausted and felt way off track. And so the next couple of years, um, were difficult trying to say, how do I, how do I fix this? You know? And um, then the financial meltdown of 2008, nine came along and wiped it all out. And so I started over, I moved my then wife and three little kids to Austin, Texas, and ended up getting two or three part-time jobs. And it was in the warehouse in one of those part-time jobs that I picked up the copy of the artist's way that my father had given me before I left Boise. And um, he said, I think this will help you someday. I need this back. Um, but I started doing those exercises and, and it was this damn break for me, you know, in this dusty, lonely warehouse uh, in Austin, Texas. And I was so confused, so depressed, so afraid that I would never find my way back. But that's where I got the reminder of that I always wanted to write. And a small code of that story is, um, my father died within a couple of years after that. And I never got a chance to give him the artist's way back, but, um, I eventually got to meet and become actual friends with Julia Cameron. And I remember standing on stage in Santa Fe a year or two ago next to her. And I just shared with tears, my eyes to the crowd. Like, I feel like I'm able to give this book back to my dad now. So. I love that. Yeah, that's really cool. That was kind of a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're all taking it in. Yes. <laughs> We just appreciate you sharing. I would love to say that it was, you know, this tidy process and I remembered the dream and just kind of followed it back and then began to, you know, put things together. But I feel like there's a lot of value in this time we're in right now where um, there's so much uncertainty, there's so much change. And there are so many people as evidenced by, you know, the great resignation, there are so many people who are desperately hungry to listen to that inner voice again and say, you know, they're like, hey, yeah, I have a good job or 
whatever it is, you know, I have all these things, but something is badly wrong. And I feel like the pandemic is, you know, terrible as it was for so many of us. Um, it was also this tremendous opportunity where we were basically forced to sit down for a little while and ponder. I think it's actually helpful for you to let people know that it wasn't a tidy process because <laughs> it's kind of nice to know that yeah. you found your way, you struggled, you weren't sure where to go. So many people are there. Mm -hmm. It's okay that it's not easy. So I just want to make a comment real quick. I knew that Elsie read this book a year ago and I knew that she enjoyed it, but I didn't realize how life-changing it was for you. Jacob, how's it feel to know that your book has been life-changing for one of these sirens, at least? <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm grateful. It's always a surprise to hear something like that. It's <laughs> amazing. But I really uh, found it at a time where I, I needed to hear it. Mm. You know, I just loved hearing from each of you. It's, it's so interesting to uh, sit there quietly listening to miniature book reviews I I love that and not and I love I love the places that turned out to be um a bit of struggle or like I don't know how to connect to that that I, that always lights my eyes up like I love I love it when people get stuff and want to talk about it but I also love to say how can we how can we tear these um concepts down or gently de deconstruct them or something how can we how can we have them meet us in new ways? Um, because I don't like the idea of just trying to shove templates at people and say, here, fix yourself with this. I don't, I don't, I don't buy that, you know? I do love your approach to journaling. I have time set on my calendar each day to do a daily check-in right after mm -hmm. lunch. And I would have never thought to do that. I don't mm. think it without your suggestion. I really like your approach. Mm. I Thank you. And I love, I love so many people don't connect well with the idea of journaling. And I love saying, well, can we take away that, that label and just, just call it listening to ourselves for 10 minutes a day or five minutes a day. You know, um, I, in, I'm dear friends with Julia Cameron. I would never argue with the effectiveness of, of her processes. And I've found that it's sometimes really good to privately say, it's okay if you do it in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure whatever. each one of us have, have, have did it in the afternoon or caught up on a few days when we were yeah. doing the artist way. Yeah. And similarly with meditation, you know, the last several years I've loved, I just keep getting more and more information coming in, brain science, polyvagal, you know, nervous system science, uh, brain develop, all these wonderful things. And what I love is that, um, we can get to the holy grail of where meditation wants, you know, is, is traditionally trying to take us, um, but we can get there in so many ways. And if you look at the polyvagal nervous system chart, you know, the anxiety, fight or flight, and back down into that peaceful zone, I call it the green zone. Um, we can get there with a walk. We can get there sitting quietly in a room, uh, snuggled up with our cat or dog. There are so many ways to experience the tremendous medicine of that space that does not require a completely blank mind for 20 minutes a day or whatever it is, you know. I think some of the best meditating that I do is diving mm. under the water. You're listening to your bubbles. So you're concentrating on your breathing and you're mm -hmm. feeling everything that there is to feel. And it's, it's the best meditation, I think, for me. I, I love that. Um, by the way, I have several friends who are divers. I've not ever dived, uh, you know, like in a scuba situation. Where's your, where are all your favorite places to dive? Well, I moved to, <laughs> yeah, I moved to St. Croix partially for that reason. It's one okay. of the top, top 10 dive sites in the world. So wow. I'm to St. Croix. <laughs> I do love diving in St. Croix, but my favorite place to dive is called Sugar Grove Quarry and it's a rock quarry in Ohio, in the wow. middle of Ohio, and it's cold yeah. and dark, but I just love it there. It feels like home. Interesting. My whole dive family is usually there with us. So that's oh. probably mostly why I love it, but. Yeah, it's cool. Well, I think I've um, missed something very key with this whole concept of meditation. It's been there my whole life. You know, I've, I've, um, I've got Kindle on my phone. I've got uh, Audible on my phone. 
and I've got um, Netflix on my phone and I've got uh, DVR on my TV and I've got um, hardback books that I read. I've got paperback books. I've got siren soapbox books that I read. And <clears throat> sometimes I feel like um, I'm almost afraid to let my brain not be doing something for a minute because even if I go sit in my office uh, at work and I don't have to be doing something, I almost feel like I have to open up my phone and pull up my Kindle and be reading something. Or um, even if I have two minutes where I don't have to do anything, I'm putting on my audio, my audible book. I mean, I, I've got two minutes to curl my hair in my office before I go back out there. And heaven forbid, I have to listen to my own thoughts for a minute. <laughs> I'm putting on my audible and I'm listening to my audiobook for two minutes. And I just feel like I, I can't cure myself of that. And I don't know if it's just because I, I'm used to doing that or if I'm actually, I mean, what is it? Am I avoiding my having nothing to do in my head? I don't know. I just think that I would, and, and even if I sit on the couch with the cats, I never just sit there and I sit on the couch with the cats a lot, but I'm never not doing anything. It's the same thing. I'm reading or I'm watching the last four episodes of, uh, American Idol that I've missed catching up on that you know I'm never not doing something I mean I'm always doing nothing but I'm never not doing something <laughs> while I'm doing nothing because I spend a lot of time on the couch you understand yeah, yeah. right I get bed sores sometimes but I'm doing something the whole time right and I'm not sure that I you know I I know maybe this topic is a lot bigger than we can fix here with the creative cure and on siren soapbox, but. How do you say I have ADD without saying I have ADD? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute. There, that's another synchronicity. Haven't we done that episode before? Yes, yes we have. We have. <laughs> I well, feel I'm... like I, I know the answer to that one too. What was, what was my answer on that one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my mother is now a therapist and she gave me a, an ADD battery of questions recently. And um, I went through it and she asked, well, how'd that come out? And I said, oh, very much so ADD. And she, and she laughed and like no one around me has, uh, has been surprised by that news. Everyone was like, uh, yeah, bro. Yeah, you totally have ADD. <laughs> so I'm, I'm bringing that up. I'm right in the middle of reading Dr. Gabor Mate's uh, Scattered Minds, which is such a beautiful, gorgeous gentle mirror of looking at, you know, um, ADHD, ADD, and um, looking at how it comes about, but also, also giving such a big warm hug that says you're not broken, but that extremely active mind. I mean, I can, I can identify with everything you just said. It's, I would say it's very difficult for me to slow my mind down and just have open space. And so that's why for me, it's a bit of a practice and I forget uh, enough times. And it's when I feel really frantic it's like really um frazzled that i begin to that's when i remember it's like oh that's right yeah i haven't given myself really a whole lot of quiet space lately you know i find that i end up getting nothing done though you know you would think that with all that i, I could get some shit done but i literally get nothing done so anyway moving on someone else can talk now <laughs> Well, I just want to take, I want to take a minute. I don't, there's, there's no fixing here. I just want to say, I just love, I love that we're talking about real stuff. Cause I think so many, so many of us can identify with, with that. And I think there's a lot of shame in the personal development and spirituality self-help world where people show up to these supposed, what are supposed to be transformative, exciting experiences and quietly go away and think, yeah, I, I must be broken in a way that does not allow for me to enter into this experience. Um, and so I like to, I like to turn the language into as common language as possible and say, how can we all look at each other and kind of laugh and say, yeah, that's also me. Um, because I think most of us share a lot of these kind of things, you know? Absolutely. I mean, there are five of us on the show regularly, and I would say, four and a half of us struggle all the time. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Something. Well, you know that uh, going back to, you know, the three enemies of creativity, um, socialization, rejection of the fear of it and traumatic experiences. Um, I really love the ability to just all of us go, 
can we all just take a deep breath and let it out and go, look, we're all human. We've all had these things happen in various, to various degrees, different, you know, different details, but we are all likely dealing with a similar thing, especially in the modern world. And so being able to say, okay, there's nothing wrong with me. And there were places where I began to internalize messages that I'm not enough, that I don't belong here, that I'm not lovable, that I'll be abandoned, you know, all those different core beliefs. And I don't feel like the way that those happen in early childhood and infancy for many of us, um, it's not something you go to a weekend retreat, um, you know, or therapy sessions for a year or so, and they just magically completely go away. That's why to me, it becomes a practice. It's a daily practice, much like taking a shower is. Um, uh, it's, so it's like, it's, it's mental, emotional, you know, hygiene, um, for me to, and, and when I, when I start to feel out of sorts, I, I look back at the practice and say, yeah, have I, have I slipped a bit here and not out of like a sense of shame or perfectionism. I need to do it every day at a certain time, but no, this is how it affects me when I fall out of practice, you know? I like your idea of success and like finding your own success and finding your own joy. And because I think, you know, where you were before all this, before your, you know, your personal crisis or whatever you had, what society defines as success. And I think that a lot of us need to kind of come back and realize what our own version of success is. And, uh, you know, my husband and I had a five-year goal. Well, it was a three-year goal. It took five years of moving to Hawaii. And that involved both of us leaving jobs of years and years, probably the longest either of us had been at a job and leaving our, our close friends. My, my Some of my closest friends are on here and our families. And But it was our personal success and it was our joy. So it's, you know, just finding your own version of that. And I think that that's probably very scary to a lot of people. Yeah, Jess, I'm curious, uh, how long have you been in Hawaii now? Uh, since November. So oh, very so it's, new. it's fresh. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, how cool. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I always love the settling in. You know, we make a big change, a, a large leap of some kind. And I'm always curious about the ways because of the, the, the way the brain wants to habituate, like, okay, everything's new and beautiful and fresh and exciting. And then within, you know, months, a lot of times the brain parks, okay, I know where all of these things are. Um, I've seen it several times now. And the idea of sim similarity boredom can set in at that point. And um, watching the ways then that our inner selves can take root um, and continue growing and staying alive inside of that. I, I'm always curious to know how that is going for people when they're make after they've made a big change, you know? So I've been living on St. Croix for five years now. Yeah. And <clears throat> that whole concept is something that's really fascinating to me that, mm -hmm. you know, you, you do something or you acquire something and you have this, all of this joy for a or happiness, all these good feelings for a limited amount of time, and then it becomes part of your normal, and you don't mm -hmm. feel the same level of happiness. At the end of my road, when I leave my um, my neighborhood, there's a stop sign, and if you sit at that stop sign, you're looking at the Caribbean Sea, and you can see on a clear day, you can see St. Thomas and St. John off in the distance. And so it is a practice that every day, um, mm. both I and my boyfriend do this. We sit at that stop sign and remember to be grateful and to take in the beauty. And uh, we try very hard to not let it become just the new normal that we then take for granted. But it is, we do it daily. God, I love that. I love that. I mean, I, there's a phrase, I don't know if it made it into this book or not, but um I think I, in one of the drafts it did, you know, basically the idea of staying alive inside of life. And I feel like uh, those of us who hit, you know, middle age, it's, I turned 49 yesterday, by the way. Um, oh, that's right. On, Happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. On Happy Mother's birthday. Day, I don't like to brag or anything, but I was really my mom's greatest gift, you know. <laughs> wow. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> so anyway, uh, no, but um, 
we hit middle age and I think that it's very natural, like the process we just have been talking about habituation in a new place or a new job or with a new relationship. I think it happens with life. You know, it's like, no, I've had my first kiss. I've, I've had my sex. I've made this money. I've gone to these places, whatever it is, you know, all the firsts are now kind of in the rearview mirror. And so I think that people who stay really alive into their eighties, nineties or a hundred or more, it's because they find some way to keep connecting with their, with their inner creative self, the curiosity, the wonder, the ability to keep finding joy sometimes in what might be mundane, but also looking for new experience. And I think that if we shut down, if we allow ourselves to just keep shutting down in little ways, micro ways, we can then start to feel like the flavor has gone out of life. And that, that to me is a, is a tragedy. Um, joy to me, and I'm glad you you've made the distinction between joy and happiness because joy to me is such a deep thing and it's that aquifer and it nourishes it's underneath even the times of our lives that are very troubling or puzzling um or even difficult there's this deep aquifer and sometimes we have to go way below the surface to find it and then other times you know the, the job happens or the retirement happens or whatever it is and we have this geyser and that's happiness but 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 happiness to chasing that will always keep me tired you know and hungry I agree with that and going going back to sarah and her meditation i think society mm. really wants us to look perfect all the time and have everything right away. And, and Sarah, I challenge you to fail awesomely at meditation this week. <laughs> I love, I love that section of the book because on the podcast, we challenge ourselves every week to do something new and we have to, you know, have the courage to, to fail and fail awesomely and uh, not be afraid to start something new. So, Jacob, do you hmm. have a time where you failed awesomely? <laughs> I feel like that's happened so often. Yeah. Um, you mean you mean in meditation or in or in life and anything? In anything. <laughs> yeah. How just long, tell yeah, us how a long story, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't oh much my God. time. Oh, oh, this is fun. So this takes me back to being like I think thirteen, and I was at uh, I was at church camp uh, in the middle of summer and this is in Washington state and there was this girl I had a crush on oh my god and had for some time and she had steadfastly re refused resisted all my charms which is really astonishing you know um, but anyway uh, she came up the dirt road with some friends and I found a lizard on the ground that I thought looked like a an alligator it was tiny and I picked it up and I thought, you know, what would be awesome would be to show off, I guess, uh, by pretending to kiss the lizard. Um, well, the lizard leapt out of my hand and bit the top, my top lip. And so I was sitting there in front of this girl I had a crush on with this lizard hanging off my top lip. It didn't have the desired effect. It really didn't. You know? <laughs> I can't imagine why. That's awesome. Oh, that is great. There were but, so many of those. That's what came to mind. <laughs> Did the lizard turn into a princess after that? Boy, now wouldn't that be a story? <laughs> <laughs> oh. By the way, uh, this is also me explaining how I have ADD without saying it, but um, I'm going to do a crashing segue just for a moment. And, and I love when you, when you all invited me to be on here, the siren soapbox. Um, I love the, uh, I love sirens. I love the, uh, the oh brother where out though uh them sirens done, done loved him up and turned him into a frog so i don't know why i made that connection but um <laughs> anyway but but also sirens love the depths you know like any snin talks about i must be a mermaid because i love the i love the deeps the depths and abhor shallows so anyway this is really fun for me to be hanging out with all of you yeah it's fun for us too so little secret, I looked up what a, what a relationship between fours and sevens are like on the Enneagram thing so we could get an idea of how this whole conversation would go. Oh, yeah. Tell me. Yeah. And there's there's like a positive. It could go this really positive, fabulous way, or it could be more like this. And it's going the really positive, fabulous way. So oh, good. I'm pretty happy about that. All right. So, how, so, so what are the various Enneagrams here? You know, I'm a four. I know you're a seven. I'm a seven. 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 Two. Three, three, three sevens. sevens. Oh my God, this is a lot. 
You're telling me, Jacob. My, <laughs> yeah, my mother is a seven, so I'm somewhat familiar with that type. Yeah. <laughs> and she's delightful. <laughs> we have lots of energy. <laughs> Boy, howdy. <laughs> and we are all three very, very seven. Is that right? Or Jess. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay, that's, I got Sarah. Sarah's that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so self-discovery for me, and I use all sorts of tools. I'm a I'm a self-discovery kind of junkie, so I love all of the uh, all of the tools, Myers Briggs and Strength Finder and astrology and Enneagram and all of these things, um, especially overlaying them. But self-discovery, finding out this is who I am, this is what I love, you know. Uh, this is what I've been neglecting in myself, this is what I've shut down in myself. And that leads to this amazing self-acceptance. And it's a lot of people try to leap right into the self-acceptance. It's like trying to affirm I'm full of love, peace, and joy without actually acknowledging the parts that don't feel peaceful or loving or joyful. <laughs> but this all leads to transformation. And transformation, as I see it, is not at all the model that most of us have grown up around in spirituality or religion, where it's you find somebody who's a model of this behavior, who's successful in these ways. And then all you have to do is match their behavior. I don't see it that way. I see transformation as discovering who we really are and then becoming that kind of like an acorn trying to become a pine tree, you know, um, and, and always frustrated and depressed, you know, until someday some wise crow or something comes along and says, all you have to do is become the code that was already in the acorn. Like, just become that. That's all. That's, that's where you find your greatest joy and your strength. And, and success, actual success, you know. So a lot of what you're saying reminds me of an episode that we did on numerology. Do you look mm. at, at numerology also? Because she talked a lot about understanding that that self that you were born into. Mm. And then all of the things that get piled on top of that, trying to meet society's different expectations and, and taking those expectations as your own. Um, is that, do you, do you, do you do anything with numerology? Oh, you know, I have. I, I wouldn't say I've made it a study. So I'm, I'm always, I'm fascinated by all of these things, of course. So I can't remember exactly what my birth date adds up to as far as a year, but I think it's a, I think it's a three or a six. One of the, I don't know. Hmm. Just curious. So another question that I'm, that I have to ask, and it's a little bit off topic, but we are big fans of Paul Boynton. I'm curious oh, yeah. how you know Paul Boynton. Uh, Paul, oh my God, Paul was introduced to me by a mutual friend um, on Facebook back in 2010, I think. And that's when I was going through like the, the real depths of rediscovering, you know, and I was at that time, I was broken, scared and very destabilized in my life. Um, and Paul came alongside. It was just such a, just such a kind voice in my life, you know. And since then, we've become actual in-person friends, and we're doing a lot of collaboration together. Um, but he's just, um, since you're all fans of his, he just knows how to send out this huge energy of love and acceptance in ways that are kind of remarkable, you know. Well, we are curious, though. What are some ways that someone can recognize that they need to practice? the creative care that they need to pull out your book and use it as a reference guide in their life. <laughs> oh, I think, you know, I, I work on, I work on listening to what the words people are saying. So it's not like trying to get them to say the words that I want them to say. Uh, when I hear questions, when, when clients show up and they say, I don't really know exactly even what I need or want right now. I just know that there has to be something more. When I hear that phrase, there has to be something more. It's like, okay, we're now we're close to it. Um, I think if there's a sense of dissatisfaction with ourselves or with life, or there are the ghosts of old dreams that we, for whatever reason, just kind of laid aside. Um, and this is a tricky part because a lot of people were, we are all involved in a society that tends to train us to only focus on things that are going to get us money. Um, and so for many of us, whether it's a conscious thought or not, it's running below the surface somewhere that says, this doesn't deserve my time because this will never turn into a career or it won't, you know, I won't be a superstar on Instagram or whatever because of it. Um, or I just know that I'm not very good at it. 
And so I don't want to really spend my time doing something like that. And I would challenge anyone who has like sort of the dangling threads of desire to do something, to experiment with something, to try it. I would say, let's pull that thread a little bit and see where it takes us. And for the moment, that's not to say it can't become a career um, it, or it can't become a, a profitable side hustle or something. But just for a little while, if we can put pause on that impulse, because that is part of the critical voice that is so fast to jump in and say, you'll, you'll never be good enough at this to be a pro. And so I see that as one of the major stumbling blocks for people who really want to come back alive inside is they tend to shut down very quickly those desires because somewhere in there, there's that voice that says, yeah, this isn't going to, you'll never be good enough at this. And so being able to like, just say, let's pause that and we're not going to deny it. Maybe it's true, but let's come back around after we've had some of the experiences and see if there's some of those that make our eyes light up, you know? Love that answer. What about people who already have creative jobs? Do you have any suggestions for them so they can continue to practice creatively and not get burnout? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> and this is one of the, uh, I mean, you just nailed it just even with the question. This is one of the challenges of eventually doing what you love or doing what was a dream childhood dream is it becomes, it becomes a job. There become responsibilities uh, attached to it. And when I started writing, Oh, I mean, I had all the same desires and hopes that pretty much anyone does, you know, this secretly, I would never state this out loud, but secretly, I hope this ends up on the New York Times list or something. Um, being able to go, I need to do this right now because it feels really good. I feel alive doing it. Um, and so I would suggest to people who probably are working themselves to the bone creatively, um, go find something you're not great at. Go find something that is outside because these are just all these are our patterns, you know, they're neural networks. And so we find ourselves running down the same trails. And so to to even to restore our energy inside of a creative job that we might have going and taking um, a dear friend of mine, Stephen Farmer, just started up, you know, he's in his 70s and he just started up um, improv. And so did Paul. Uh, Paul Boynton just started improv yeah, with I Michael. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. It's like so yeah. much yeah. fun. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's stuff that challenges us. Um, let me think. Improv was on my list. I'm playing the guitar. So I play the violin, but, but as a young guy, I decided I want to play the guitar. And that was just one of those things that's just been kind of hanging around out there for a really long time. And finally, this year, at the beginning of the year, I, I did. I went back and did the personal assessment again in my life, and I realized I need to refresh my my connection to music again. Um, and so, going and learning something I'm not familiar with, I don't know how to play the guitar. I love that kind of music. I would love to be able to do it, but I mean, there's an example of saying, okay, so what? what is sort of in the footprint of things I would love, but I'm not currently good at it or doing it. And I would say, you know, going to take tango dance lessons or, and it doesn't have to be even in the vein of what we'd consider to be creative. Somebody might be like my brother, Nate, you know, for him, joy would be taking a, a computer coding class. I mean, he would just lose, he loses all track of time in, in that setting. And so I just want to encourage people who don't feel connected to the traditional arts. That doesn't matter. The question here is how to how to become more artful in our lives, how to turn every part of our life into an opportunity to create more artfulness. Um, yeah, like how can I in this business setting, how can I bring an artist's eye and heart to it? How can this become more beautiful or more full of life? Um, how can I do that in this relationship over here or um, really whatever it is. And I, I find that even being able to ask that question can open up some really cool doors uh, inside of what seemed like, look, I've, I know everything about this situation, this relationship, this job, whatever it is. But asking that question, it's, that's a deeply imaginative, like, ooh, how could I make this interaction more artful, you know? So this week, we want to challenge our listeners to schedule 30 minutes of boredom. Sarah, this challenge was written for you. That means no TV, no cell phone, no mindlessly flipping through TikTok, although Sarah doesn't flip through TikTok, just to be clear. Um, just sit alone 
and be alone with yourself. And Jacob tells us that a certain amount of boredom has some surprising creative benefits. I'm going to do it this week and I want you to do it as well. Let us know how it goes by using the hashtag Siren Soapbox on all the social medias. Jacob, thank you so much for joining this week. Uh, joining us this week. We appreciate your insight and the lessons that you laid out for us in the creative cure. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you? Well, since this is coming out quickly, um, you can go to jacobnordby.com. But um, I also have a brand new project coming out um, this week and next week. Uh, it's called the Heal Plus Create Writers Community. And so you can kind of check that out at healcreate.org, O-R-G, or orgy if you're dirty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe help you to remember it. So anyway, healcreate.org. And Heal Create, Heal Plus Create is, is, an, is um, connected to, it's an outreach of the Institute for Creative Living, um, which Paul's deeply involved with on me as well. Um, so we're really excited about forming creative communities and supporting people, not just writers, but that's, that's our first launch out of that one. So that's awesome. I feel like at least one of us will be signing up for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I just want, you to know, when you all invited me um, to join you, my, I had an immediate yes. And this has been really so much fun and I'm so happy for the work that you're doing, I can see that you spend real time focused on, I mean, I'm so flattered that you have been reading the book, but I mean, to me, that's more ind indicative of your attention to detail and that you're bringing some really big, valuable things here to the show and to all of your listeners. So thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Bob. Yeah. That's flattering to hear. We appreciate that very much. Sirens. I had so much fun with you this week. Again, as usual, this is my new favorite episode. Um, so thank you for getting creative with us and fellow explorers. You'll be able to find all of, um, the links to Jacob's stuff from our website as well. Sirensoapbox.com. Um, we'll even put a link to the book, the creative cure under our shop. And also while you're in our shop, maybe buy a coloring book or a water bottle. It'll be good for you. Or you can send us a challenge and you'll find that under the contact the sirens page. And maybe you'll be invited to join us on an episode. Don't forget to click like and subscribe wherever you're listening right now. And until next time, dive in, stay curious and be happy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Siren Soapbox. And a special thank you to C-Strings for providing our music. Snag their latest EP from iTunes today. Follow the sirens on all the social medias and don't forget to tell your friends about us. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Siren Soapbox.